wish I knew how to say where the pavement ends in Spanish. Can you guys say it in, in uh, Italian? I don't even know where the pa- where pavement is anymore. Finalmente, I just usually throw like a vowel at the end donde of the la English word. <laughs> Finalmente strada. I guess I could look it up on That Google was a little Translate. Italian and Spanish together. It was? You knew what pavement was in... Uh, well, I went donde la strada. But strada is street in Italian. So. Oh, that's close. And then finalmente would be like the end or final. That's on a that's on a movie, that filamente word that you just said. Uh, yeah. Might even be Spanish. Might even be. Dove finisce il marsipipiede? What do you read in Spanish or Italian? Italian. Italian. Pavement is marsipilitele. What? Mar- marcipi a piede. Did, so, oh, for your do, feet. For Spanish, it's got to be donde. Um, where the pavement? Where the pa- donde? Fin don. I'm on Italian, but where the pavement ends in Ita- Spanish is do, donde. Il il finisce. Pavimento. Pavimento. No, you're close. Yeah, yeah. Donde termina el oh. pavimento. Almost. Dove. Dove finisce il marcipiede. That's pretty we're going, march your, we're You going, march your feet on the pavement, I guess. is. We are going international. Somebody out there listening on their radio just laughed at us because we <laughs> didn't know that stuff. Just so you guys know. Who listens... On the radio, don't they usually do it from their phones? I guess you can play it through your radio. I was gonna say, I, I guess I'm old school and play my phone through my radio because uh, my truck's old and doesn't have a. So is that technically through your phone or through your radio? A little bit of each, K Dog. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I still have to do it with a cord too. <laughs> no Bluetooth. No, it has Bluetooth for the phone, but not for music. Or I don't know how to do it. One of the two. At least you have a truck. Yeah, that's true. I guess I could be like you. I get my bearing fixed on Friday. Are you? Yeah. How much was it? I don't know that the podcast Seven. world cares. Well, <laughs> no, I'm getting it done on Friday, so I still oh, you don't, don't even know. I still Seven, eight hundred bucks. Oh, I'm hoping more five hundred. What was the? What was the? Uh, this this is funny because we're going to talk a little bit about El, uh, Clint's elk trip. But since he brought it up, what was that little series of events? Anybody that hunts can relate to what happened to Clint uh, in in the week kind of leading up to his elk hunt we i guess i'll short background we took his brand new trailer and his truck out coyote hunting kind of to shake it out you know and make sure uh break it in break it in meet the neighbors you know and uh he had to leave for elk hunting the very next weekend right yeah it was the next week so yeah we we went out and hunted camped friday and saturday night hunted saturday sunday come back and then i was leaving uh saturday that following saturday so i had a week worth of work and then i i uh was gonna go get a generator from my cousin and i was driving from my house to her house about halfway in between my mom's house and i was going down the highway and i could hear this grinding and certain noise and i'd roll the window down and couldn't quite tell where it was coming (laughs) from i pulled over to the side of the road i thought it was maybe that broken uh, door handle that i have on that passenger side from clay's elk hunt (laughs) <laughs> so I ripped that thing off, went down the road a little more. It seemed to get a little bit better for a while, but it definitely getting up to a little bit like 40 miles an hour on up grinding. Oh crap. So I pulled over on the side of the road and I don't, I'm not a mechanic, but called the mechanic, our buddy Steve and kind of told him what was going on. And he said, well, it sounds like you're bearing. So yeah, if you get a chance, pull, pull it over and jack that tire up. And, and so I was, I was like a mile from my mom's house. So I pull into her driveway 
got the jack out. You know, you take that tire and just kind of push it in and out, <laughs> and sure as shit, that thing was loose. So Ugh. he's like, and I said, you think I could make it to Hidden Valley? You know, another, I don't know, I probably had like a 20-mile one-way drive to get to my cousin's house, and he's like, well, your wheel could fall off. If it's <laughs> so I said, nah, I don't think I'm going to stop at my mom's say. house. So, yeah. So Luckily, that was that was like, uh, that was either Wednesday, that was Wednesday or Thursday night. And I was planning on taking my truck with that generator, tow my trailer to Ely, six-hour drive, six-and-a-half-hour drive with the trailer. And I think it was, you know, it was, it's not lucky to have a broken bearing on your truck, but it was really lucky it didn't happen on our coyote hunting trip. <laughs> or, or halfway. <laughs> in somewhere between Austin and Eureka, Nevada, with mm-hmm. a trailer behind you, me and Tom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was like the perfect time. And plus, I was like a mile from my mom's house. So it really did work out pretty well. Well, and... Like the mechanic told you, the the whole you know tire wheel can come off, and then if your truck falls down on your, in your case, it'd be a front axle. Then it does a lot more damage. Lot more. And, what, and you have what to get was that bill going to be? Not the damage, but just that bill, just to get that truck and trailer off the road. If I was, let's say, I was somewhere between Austin and Eureka. Oh, oh yeah, my gosh. No. So yeah, it was very lucky. I just had a, a car towed the other day. It literally was, I'm going to say, three miles. You know, in town to. A shop in town it was 125 bucks so think about somewhere between there and and then odds are you get it to a small town like eureka or something like that they can't fix it anyway so now you're getting it towed you know back to reno or fallon or something like anything yeah, yeah it was the uh it was a good blessing yeah thank you thank uh thank the man upstairs that that didn't happen to us you know coyote hunting out in the middle of the desert too but yeah, uh just kind of funny how that works out when you're when you're trying to leave for do something, you know, that it almost never goes according to plan. And with that short story, uh, well, out of the way, well, he, not really sure because he called me and he's like, uh, kind of needed your truck. Oh yeah. So you had to drive the commuter. Around <laughs> so I had week. to drive his car around, which I haven't driven a car in, I don't even 20 remember years. Last, 20 years or more. You feel was like it? you're riding on the pavement. Huh? <laughs> so Actually, weird. probably the last time you drove a car was that car. And you took it from, if you remember this, I drove that car on your elk hunt in 2007. Crazy how things go full circle. 2000. No, wait, let me think here real quick. Wasn't your elk hunt. What hunt was that? 2000. You drove that car brand new practically. To my elk to, hunt? From P.O.H. to uh, Vegas. You were going to like SHOT Show it or was, something. It was your mountain lion hunt. It was the mountain lion mountain hunt. Line, I remember. Oh yeah. It was the mountain lion hunt. We were in Ely, Nevada, the same place. We had just bought this. It's a, brand, a 2013 Ford Taurus. And I guess we had to drive separately, whatever it was, but that car made yeah, its way to Ely. It. Had you had it. driven already. Then I had the car to drive. And anyways, you were like, yeah, well, if you're good, if you can bring your car, then I got to go to shot show. That's what made me bring the car. Yeah. And so that car yeah. pretty much his maiden voyage was from, Reno to Ely to, to Ely, Vegas. Ely to Vegas. Yeah, so there you go. Probably about the last Did time you, put you drove a dead a car. mountain lion in the back of it. No, because uh, I had I my drove truck. his truck yeah, home with mountain lion. That would have been cooler. <laughs> take it to shot show. <laughs> hey, it just got killed. Hey. But yeah, we so he had to take my truck, and I got all that battery system in there. So didn't need a generator. Didn't need to use that. Didn't need to, or yeah, didn't need the generator. I'm it, not, all, it all worked out. I'm not plugging that battery system. I don't even know what it's called, but it's legit. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, seeing it firsthand, uh, long, you know, the long and short of it is Clay's got this inverter battery system in his truck. He it's, knows all the details. Battle-born batter, battle batteries. Battle-born batteries. They're, 
freaking insane. We plugged Clint's travel trailer into it. You could watch movies. <laughs> I, I don't think the heater runs on electricity. Maybe the fan part of it, I guess. But no, we're watching it, it, movies, it, it, lights it, it, on, water refrigerator. Pump, refrigerator. <laughs> and I remember at one point, the first after the very first night of the heater running, the fridge running, watching movies, Clay goes, we could do that for 10 more days before I'd have to start my truck. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't even need a generator anymore. No, it's it's, it's it. absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's six 100-amp batteries all tied together, and they're the lithium-ion 100-amp batteries all tied together, coming out of that into a 4,000-watt inverter, into that to a battery-to-battery um, tinder, I guess. I don't know what that part is called. But out of the 4,000 water inverter comes a, a 30 foot or 40 foot line uh, that has a 110 amp circuit at the end of it, plug at the end of it that's um, GFI protected. So I can take it out wherever out of my truck and run it like we did Clint on the bill, just pull out my out of the Lear camper and plug it in. And, and you can plug it or charge it by either if you're at your house and it has a cord out from there and you can plug into your house from into a 110 or if you're out out and about right hunting you just start your truck and it can run off your battery and charge it and as soon as it's fully charged it kicks off that battery to battery knows it's fully charged and says send don't send any more power back here um or by solar Mm -hmm. so you never really have to start your truck or if you're every time you know you drive maybe from camp to where you go hunting spot it's basically charged back up for the next night because you rarely I've never drained it ever. It's legit. And he watches the the, <laughs> the voltage or whatever on his phone. Yeah, Bluetooth. It's very, very techy and cool. But I got I got it because I have to sleep with my CPAP, right? And I hated yeah. going to Mexico with a generator full of gas that running all night long, mm-hmm. going anywhere. Can't you know? I've always done it forever. Running a, a generator for just running my CPAP. So I was like, I, there's got to be a better way. So started doing. The, you found it. Found a way, and it's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so now it's a long story short. That is not who has brought this <laughs> podcast to you. No. Meat has brought you this podcast. Meat They're Showmaker. bringing you this podcast. Meat Showmaker. And we, while you can't see us, know that we are enjoying <laughs> tasty elk jerky that Clint made last weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, Hunt was two weekends ago and then yeah, finished up the jerky last weekend. The grind. We did the grind. Uh, quarters, back straps, tenderloins, they all hung in my garage. Um, let me think back here real quick. Thursday, killed on Thanksgiving. So one night, just Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, hung in my garage. And then I, Clay and the whole family, we grounded up. Alex stayed late. And grounded up. Arrived early. Wednesday, I think late. we were finished Wednesday. I think we ground Tuesday and Wednesday. Seems about right. Something around there. So within a week, we had a thousand pound on the hoof animal ground up into, uh, I didn't count them specifically, but I'm sure there's about two, there's either 220 to 230 pounds in vacuum sealed one pound packs of grind, about 60 or 70 steaks that are vacuum sealed. And uh, kept um, ten pounds of uh, of one of the rump roasts for jerky. Yeah, off of one animal, that's a pretty good haul. I completely depleted out my deep freeze uh, chest freezer, and it's 
it's full to the top. Have like you started eating the grind yet? I've had uh, we did one dish with the grind, and then we had steaks. I did we did steaks uh, two nights ago. First steaks I had off of it, and they were unreal. How how was the grind? Grinds perfect, as good as it gets. I haven't had a burger. We haven't had burgers. We put it in a in a recipe, but it was everybody liked it. And then the steaks we had a uh, a couple of people over, um, and they Ashley, the oldest the oldest stepdaughter, and Chance, her husband. Um, the four of us ate those steaks and um when you're eating and you're thinking that's the best steak i've ever had i'm sure i've had equal but it was pretty freaking good put it on the traeger i did a half and half i did sonora rub uh provider sonora rub and drop tine and it was perfect reverse seared it we i mean we just i don't know we tried what did we try that Day when we ground it up. Oh, when we ground, we did. We, um, yeah, we we, I mean, we took we it straight. Quesadilla. We took it from straight grind yeah. or cutting it off the bone. I think that cutting was Sonora it up. too, right? Wasn't it Sonora? I think we we did too. We did a quesadilla and just pretty good. So whatever, we just took it straight I, from the grind, straight to the to the skillet, <laughs> fried it up real quick, and oh, I, we also uh, we also threw down four uh, four smash burgers that night right off the oh that's right right out of the machine and onto the frying pan well we you know seasoned up a little bit and clay got cooked clay, clay got tired and went home and no alex, i had other alex stuff to late. do uh-huh. yeah that's what but yeah alex <laughs> stayed late and we they, we did we did have we had burgers that night i i forget exactly what i put on there i probably put drop tine on there they were good and they were that was dinner what? after a long day of grinding clay you started to uh mention a couple new products by meat before I so rudely cut you off. You are very Because rude. you didn't know how to say Sue's V, or did I not know how to say <laughs> Sue Vietle, or Well, we were, like I said, they, they used to only have a half horsepower grinder and a one and a half horse grinder, grinder <laughs> power grinder. Um, but now they have a 0.75 and a one horsepower in between. So, you know, from, from uh, and a 500 watt. Basically, you could do five five hundred watt half half horsepower, three quarter horsepower, one horsepower, and a one and a half horsepower. So you got it from from a chucker uh, to an elephant. Uh, well, whatever and, you want to grind up. Yeah, I mean, and your as your pocketbook allows, right? Everyone can. You, so you got from one hundred and twenty bucks to six hundred bucks, seven hundred bucks from you know whatever however level you want to go at. They have some for everybody, um, and so that that they have. Um, they also have a foot pedal now. Where you can plug that into the the grinder to where you if you're doing you, it by yourself, yeah, you, if you're yeah. by yourself, you can control it by your foot pedal. They have a sous, new sous vide maker. I imagine that'd be very handy for when you're tubing sausage because your hands are busy doing yeah, the yeah. tubing the sausage. Yeah, and for you know, sure. yeah, that that would yeah. So you don't have to turn it on and now off. I want to do. So, I want to tube some sausage. Now I want to learn how to make pedal. salami. I feel like they could help us. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they can. Um, Sue's V. I don't even know if we're saying that correctly. I know. I've heard it said before. That's how I've heard it said. Sue V. Whatever you said. The S is si- the second S is silent. The D is silent. Uh, <laughs> Sue V. I do. There's one thing that when you when you get one, if you haven't already got one, I had a drink at a bar the other night where they sous vide toasted almonds in bourbon, and then they made an old fashioned with it, and. It was wow. legit. Huh. Wow. Legit. That like, sounds really good. Yeah. So those of you out there that aren't culinary experts like us, the sous vide is a uh, machine that like boils 
water in a pot basically, but it holds a specific temperature, no flame or anything like that. It almost looks like a, it's like a tube that sits in a, in a bath of water and then you vacuum seal whatever you're cooking in. It could be a steak or like I just said, that bourbon with the toasted almonds, you put it in that water bath and it cooks via hot water, not over a stove. Uh, I'm sure they do many more things, but that's what I saw on Instagram. And, and that's what you say. So meat has a, a sous vide uh, machine. Uh huh. Wow. Sous vide machine. You might yeah. want to get. You might want to get two of those. <laughs> <laughs> we have one. I know we have one. They sent us one. Um, yeah, they they got dehydrators, everything. I'll it's tell awesome. you the the. I don't know what it was. Was it was it a two horsepower we used the other night at his house? One and a half. We literally needed five more vacuum sealing <laughs> stations because it ground so fast. You just couldn't. And Clint pre, I'm never even smart enough to pre cut the seal bag. and cut one yeah. bag, so it would have been I four I times as long. Well, you know, the last time we did a big elk like that, it was not with this product, and it, yeah, you, the assembly line just kind of went along smooth. But we were so backed up because that thing was grinding so hard and so fast, and we even we called in extra troops, right. and we still were behind. It, yeah, it, it was. It, I was very impressed. Yeah, I think if you're going to do a, a station, so you have your grinder, then you have your mixer. If you're going to add flavors in before, um, we're grinding up 80% venison, 20% pork butt. Um, so the mixer is going to be part of that, but especially if you're going to add add spices into it before vacuum sealing it. And then you have your vacuum sealing, sealing stations. So we pretty much kind of had a one-to-one ratio on that. Well, I would say with this with this machine, it, it, it was half horsepower. One no, and a half. One and a half. It was have... it, so it was the it was the high end. Yes, as far as horsepower goes. Yes, it's their biggest one. Um, if you're going to use that one there, you need to have three vacuum sealers. Yeah, going at the same time, <laughs> and then you need another person cutting bags and staying ahead of it. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, if you want to get it, you know done but if you're i mean if you're just a husband and wife or one person operation you go you, with the half horsepower you just no <laughs> you just do the grind let's say one night and maybe cut the bags and then the next night you know you just because it's yeah with the grinding you're gonna on an elk whatever that is 200 100 right 140 pounds and you add the other the pork in 160 pounds and you add yeah. the pork in uh if you if you only had to do the grinding and didn't worry about any of the bagging, anything, or the mixing, just the grind, you could be done with that in 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It's that easy. that that oh, horsepower. Yeah. Yeah, that it grinds through that meat yeah. so quick and easy. I hear what you're saying. Grinding so, only, just from start to finish, to adding finish. in the pork butt. You know, yeah. you gotta you gotta chop it up a little bit, make sure that it fits into the into yeah. the insert for the grinder. But yeah. Well yeah, you did no some, no more than a half hour to yeah. grind up an entire it, elk. It's easy. It's absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I, I mean, if like I said, if you want to do it all in one night, yeah, get your troops there. But if you have to break it up, you do the grind in one night and put it in the refrigerator. And, you know, that only takes a little bit. So maybe that, that night you cut up your bags and get them all ready to go. And then the next night you, you know, get onto the mixer and, 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 and the uh, packaging. What I appreciated, too, at the end of the night, too, was the cleanup. I was just going to ask. The how cleanup was, the cleanup? was. I left before that. I think they've obviously thought this out because each piece 
I don't know. They're just they're shaped differently. So the the space in between. I mean, you, you, when you have a when you're doing the grind, you have a um, a plate of different sizes where the where the the grind is going to go through. Other than that, because that's obviously got to be a specific size to grind it down into you know burger essentially, or you know even finer. They got a finer one than that. That, that maybe it's like a jerky a quarter gun. inch. No, it's maybe an eighth of an inch diameter kind of a stuff. You're going to get it into real fine grind. But other than that piece, that one simple piece, everything it's so, it was so easy to clean. Like there's enough room in between where you can just you can get your your scrubbing brush or just get it with with uh, with water in between. That's what I noticed about it too. It was very easy to clean the machine up, and it seemed like the 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 grinding arm of it was self contained. So you just it just it just made the whole process of getting the actual machine cleaned up the way it breaks apart and everything it was simple to get that thing cleaned up and and we've talked about it a couple of times we don't have to beat the dead horse but we learned you know and and I guess you figure it out for yourself but those roasts and those things like that they just they really don't get eaten you know what I mean and, and maybe in other households in the world that's different but you know we we cook a lot of wild game and they just there there's not always that opportunity to cook a roast you know what i mean and so you get your good your good steak cuts and you you get some meat for jerky if you're into making jerky but the grind man tacos spaghetti quesadillas hamburgers you know pasta sauce, all that stuff the ground meat is unbelievable and and you know you, you never you never have to i know people that every year man they're they're throwing those roasts out and stuff you know you get you kill a mule deer and you by the time you eat the back straps and tenderloins and do all that stuff and you got a couple roasts left in your freezer that the the butcher typically the butchers are the ones that leave those roasts together you know you just never eat them they're they're wasted. tied up they're it's wasted it's 10 pounds of venison the, that, yeah freezer burnt how many guys have pulled out their old steaks from two years ago that are all freezer burnt not yeah. steaks but you know they're roast or whatever and it's kind of like you know you don't even want to eat them so right yeah, I, I just, think, you know, even I, I guess from a family of five, you guys are the same. I mean, it just, a roast wasn't like a, just wasn't like a, you know, every once in a while, I remember my mom making like pot roast, but it was never like a venison pot roast or anything like that. You know what I mean? Every once in a while she'd make a pot roast. Maybe families are different, but I don't know. I just think that. How good the, is that? The, 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 the grind method is yeah. the way to go. How good is that elk? uh grind going to be in the, that chili recipe oh i know that's what i mean it's just and really those you know 10 or so years ago clay remember you made those those deer burgers too they're so freaking good it's like <laughs> it's I, hard it's hard not to go back when thing like yeah that. like it's, the dude a backstrap steak the tender you know a tenderloin appetizer you can't beat those things but you're you only get so much of that even yeah. on an elk you know what i mean would you get 20 steaks out of the backstraps Oh, no, no, like six, 60 to 70 steaks. Oh, did you really? So how thick did you I cut I was going to say, I guess, how thick did you cut them? Half inch or so? Cook, anyway. Cook quick, but yeah. A good, you know, you, you, my point is you're running out of those. People, yeah. they definitely sure. want to I have those. one sure. package left. Yeah, <laughs> you, that's the whole, no one ever goes, damn, I got this backstrap left over in the freezer, you know, so. Uh, and the other thing, you know, I like, which is, uh, uh, I think a good way to do it, th those one pound bags uh to go you know hunting with and shit when you got you throw a couple of those one pound freezer bags in breakfast sausage whatever to cook while you're out you just like the perfect 
you know, two of them feeds three people pretty much, depending on what you're going to make, you yeah. know. Well, and what I'd throw into that too is just going back to the whole family thing and busy life and getting home from work. When you vacuum seal them and press them flat, you may not have had minutes. a plan for dinner that night, but you can get home at five thirty, six o'clock at night. And if you want to have elk burger, throw them right in the, in they, the they're sink full of warm water or whatever. Yeah. They thaw out in 10 minutes. You're, you're mm-hmm. ready to go, you know, as opposed to, I mean, if you had a roast in there or something like that, yeah. I mean, it'd take two days to thaw out right. kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're on the go family stuff. It, that, that that system of sealing in those one pound packages is legit. Well, how'd we get to this point though? <laughs> I was just going mean, to that, say, that's the whole idea of this conversation is how'd we get to that point of being able to grind. And I guess the, <laughs> the cat is out of the bag via social media. The, the world senior what was it 750 yard shot. Seven, five, zero. I think it was seven. I forget. It was on one side of it or, you know, seven forty six or seven fifty four or something. But yeah, it was seven fifty. And, and we and, were talking last, last week about, a. I was at 13 MOA at 700, and I was at 16 MOA at 800, and I decided to go up one and a half MOA, and I probably would have been perfect at one MOA. So 14 MOA, 750-ish yards. He's 355 as he sits. 355 355 broken. 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 22 inches of, of... That, that's kind of up in the air. It could be I 20. Mean, it could be 25. But I think you can be pretty legitimate about it because we're basically talking about two points. And I I did it myself when I got back home. And Trevor did it, you know, in the field. And he said 20 to 22 inches. And I tried to be as legitimate as I could. And I, I didn't add it up or anything. I just put the numbers down. And I added up. It was 21. Hmm. So he was, he was 20 inches broke. But. He could have been 22 inches broke, but yeah, he was a three, he was almost a 380 class bull. And if you wrap your he mind has everything. around a three, just wrap your mind around a 350 bull. And I mean, you're talking a 370 plus bull. I mean, 355 without those 20 inches is a tank. Most people will never see a 350 bull on the hoof. A lot of people throw that number out there. Let's talk about that for one second. Yeah. A lot of people draw an elk tag and go, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna kill a 350. Holy shit, when you see what a 350 really is, I mean, that's a big, big bull. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. it makes you really second guess a lot of 350 bulls you've seen in your life, is what I'm gonna say. I mean no, I just, three, yeah, exactly. 350 is a and then he, and maybe if you want to get into the, the real details of it, you know, 350 gross, 350 net, you yeah, know, yeah. you have deductions Nets and all that. But fish. if they're a 350 class bull, that's a very nice mature bull. And then, and then to think about to get to 370 and then some of these guys are killing these 400 inch bulls and stuff. I, I will, I do at this point in time. Now I do want to see what a 400 inch bull looks like on the hoof. Yeah. Cause I, I, I have an idea of what a 370 class bull looks like on the hoof. And I would have thought that was a 400 class bull. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like to get to 400, it's just, they're, they're freaks of nature really because a 370 is, that just seems to be like, I, I can't see an elk getting bigger than that. He had every, everything that makes a, a an animal score. He had all of that. He had an, he had extra points, he did all that kind of stuff. And, to add 30 more inches to that animal to get to a 400 is just, I, I, that's going to be amazing to see that on the hoof. That's what like yeah. I, I kind of noticed right off the bat. You know, we, we had that discussion about scoring and your, your front, your brow tines are over his nose, you know, is he's long, he's heavy. Uh, 
what was his width? I never. I guess I've never really seen a front that, view of him. And the funny thing about uh, talking to Trevor too, he, he, the first thing he said about the whole width thing is you, you're you're putting a measurement on air. Yeah, it's like if you're really talking about their horns and how big they are and all that kind of stuff. But yet one of the one of the three measurements, I guess four measurements, if you go main beam wise, but one of them's you're you're judging air, which I thought was kind of an interesting way of looking at it. But yeah, so but yeah, he was. 41 and a half inches wide Jesus. inside spread of the main beams and um, score wise. I mean, let's say he was 38 inches, which is a good mature bull. That's three and a half inches on your score. It's one measurement. So they look really cool. I mean, that was the one thing when you see them wide bulls like that, you go, Oh my gosh. And most likely when they're wide like that, that's going to make their main beam longer than what it looks like too. So that, that equates, that's where you actually get your scoring. Cause if he's a 50 inch main beam, there's a hundred, there's a hundred scoreable points right there. Well, if he's 55, there's 10 more points, five inches on each horn. And that's, that was pretty much, you know, when you're 41 and a half inches wide, that 50 inch main beam ends up being a 55 inch main beam. And now all of a sudden you start getting up there in the 370 numbers. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I would say, I mean, as far as if you're on the subject of field scoring real quick, yeah, I think. Yeah, you're not getting a whole lot. It's a 38-inch inside spread or a 41-inch inside spread. It's only three inches of scorable points. But having that extra three inches of inside spread, I guess just roughly probably equates to six to ten inches of extra main beam. Wow. Right? Unless he's weird. He's just yeah, extra wide. But just, generally if they're a big mature yeah. bull, the wider they are, the longer their horns are. So, but yeah, 41 and that 41 and a half is, that's a big score. I mean, I, I, I would think that obviously those 400 inch bulls have that and everything else, but 41 and a half inches big. I'm going to draw another tag in eight. How many you got? Wait, five now? Seven. 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 So I got five more years. Yep. I won't be drawn for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, yep. you probably won't be drawn any sheep. I know that. So no. if, if it all goes the same, I got 13 more years of uh, <laughs> waiting for elk. What, how old are you, Clint? If you don't mind me asking. 45. 45. So at a minimum, you're 52 before you can draw again. Right. Unless he draw the very first year. So you figure, like I did this time, you know, I could be, I'm definitely going to be in my mid-50s minimum. You'll still be able to. Yeah. You'll still be able to hump at that point. Yeah. So do you think, I mean, because we've killed, you know, especially three years in a row now, Chance, me, you. Um, with Chance and my tag, we hunted our butts off. We scouted our butts off because we had the time. We could do it. And I've always loved doing it, DYI. Um, but this this year, go around, I mean, a couple things I think in my mind changed our thinking as, as far as getting a guide like Trevor. Um, obviously, we know he's the best in the state. But the circumstances of what I could do was nothing because of right stuff at work kept me here. So we, and we couldn't go scout. Um, cause we kind of, I guess in the last two years wouldn't kind of know what, what areas, what we thought were going to hold some bulls. Um, we kind of learned a little bit about it, but still that there's some hidden spots that the, the guides know about and they're there every day scouting, seeing what they do. They know where they're at. On good years, bad years, snow, winter, wherever it is. Um, and having already killed a, 
big bull. I mean, your last bull is a 330-inch five-point with your bow. So knowing that, were you willing to go back out yourself and do it all again, DYI, knowing, you know, we couldn't get down there and scout as much. We couldn't, um, you know, you, you weren't going to put another elk on the wall that at 330 or three, maybe even not even, you know, whatever it is. So why this year did you really go with Trevor? Well, I guess that's a good question. Yeah, I think we had a lot. We had just from the standpoint of, of the behind the scenes stuff and the business part of, of hunting that the time was going to be limited. I had, uh, I think that was the aspect of us as a team, you know, it was going to be difficult to do what we've done the last two years because of the business side of stuff. I think that's part of it. And then also I've got, I've got chance, my older boy off into college and there's just, there's many other things going on. So yeah, it seemed to, I don't know. I never really had thoughts, too many thoughts about hiring a guide. Um, but if, if you're going to do it for a hunt, I think the elk hunt in that country is the one to do it for. There's now that I've experienced it, there's no, no doubt that, that there's many benefits to it. Um, it is a bit of a drive away. So I think the first thing you said that it does save you on a scouting trip or two, which that can be difficult to do. You know, we were lucky enough to do that. Um, at least chances year. Did we get out for a scouting trip for your year? Mm-hmm. We did. We get to get out to one, but it's, it's, it, it just gets harder and harder depending on what's going on business wise and what's going on family wise. So that's the front end of it. It does help you out from that standpoint. You're going to show up and at least you're going to have local knowledge of what's going on. But, um, um, it still doesn't change a whole lot. I still think I could, I could put my mind on pre hunt. I knew probably even more so than, than doing it the way we've done in the past. I, I knew I had to get myself in better shape. That was, I just, the fact that I was going with a guide, you might think that that means, Oh, well then it's going to be more of a layup and you don't have to get yourself in shape. And, but I actually thought the the opposite because I am going to have an opportunity and that this opportunity is going to afford me the opportunity to to kill or have the chance of killing a bigger animal. Right? Let's have a let's have a let's have a report card. Because yeah, obviously you 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 worked out a bunch, you hiked a bunch, you waited, packed. What was the what was the what was the gain? What was the uh, did you feel good up there? Did you do it enough? Did you not do it enough? How did you feel? I'm glad I did what I did. Did I do enough? No. At the end of the day. And then, so, yeah, yeah, I know where you're going with that. But, yeah, just to finish that thought of, like, knowing in your mind that because of the situation that you're in, you're you're going to have an opportunity. You should give yourself mentally the idea that, yeah, I am going to be able to go after a bigger animal, which they're not going to be off the side of the road. So right. I want to get my body in shape so that I am able to put that physical effort in because I have this opportunity of the local knowledge of having somebody who knows – potentially where the animals are at that time. Um, so yeah, that, that was the big, that was the big part of it. I, I, I took it as an opportunity to get myself in what I thought, I thought I was in pretty good shape. I went into it going, I'm in better shape now than, than any of the more recent hunts that I've been on. So I felt good about it. Um, was I there? I can only imagine if I didn't do what I did, I would not have been able to kill that bull. I can tell you that much. 
and I wouldn't have been able to do the hunting that I did for those first four very long, hard days. Um, On a side note, isn't it amazing? You did all that work, and I don't—I wasn't there, obviously, uh, <laughs> but Tommy was right by your side. He's like a get-off-the-couch-and-run-a-marathon guy because you look at Tom, and he's right. not— looking in very good shape until you but see his calves you literally he gets off the couch and can go run a marathon he can go hike the highest there he can go whatever ski and, down the and some of that's what he's done right he grew up skiing and you know downhill skiing and alpine skiing all this his stuff legs you know, are but just he's cross country so, yeah. so it's just it's in his you know so he has funny. that in his blood <laughs> he <basically>. literally was <laughs> sitting at the computer and going and all I'm, right i gotta go uh elk hunt and he stayed right with you i, I gotta <laughs> Well, stayed right with me. I would, I'd, I'd readily admit he kicked my butt. <laughs> he, he did on your mountain lion hunt too, though, right? In the three feet of snow, and yeah, it sounds think, like I on think Bubba's we, elk I think hunt. we ha- we leaned up against each other on that mountain lion. Oh, did you? I think that was pretty mutual there. But Let's uh, lean up against each other. But, uh, so we don't fall in no, the mud. Because you think about it now, he kept saying, "Well, I'm not carrying a pack." So. Yeah, uh, let's just rewind just here for just a quick second. We that our first <laughs> hike, our first better. no, our first <laughs> hike. Now, and this isn't on Tom. This is with Trevor. So now Trevor is the only person I can equate him to is our cousin Thomas, Thomas Baker. Baker. There happened to be in the same business, but they're both. Trevor's not a small guy, but and I'm not a big guy, but he's smaller than me, so he doesn't have as much weight that he's carrying around, but. They're both mountain goats. Thomas Baker is what? What's Thomas? Five, 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 six, 130 pounds. I mean, the dude just, they're mountain goats. Trevor's a stockier guy and all that kind of stuff, but he just goes up the mountain. And then you got Tom. Tom's bigger than me. He weighs more than me. He's taller than me. He's bigger than me. And he kept saying, well, no, you got, you're carrying your gun and your pack and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, well, you still have a pack. And yeah, it has a camera and Tripod. stuff. But he's also like, He's getting up ahead of me to get some shots of me walking <laughs> up the mountain. So he's probably he's kind of like a like a like your hunting dog, you know. He's getting more miles, you know, switching back and forth and stuff. So I was thoroughly impressed with Tom. But our first hike we went on, we started, you know, pretty steep incline right out of the truck and stuff. Threw the pack on and and uh, I was I you know I have to say in the back of my mind or in the front of my mind I'm like oh let's see where I'm at here and I was walking right alongside with Trevor. And I, I could hear him starting to breathe a little bit. Like, I'm all right. I'm in pretty good shape because I didn't feel like I was breathing at all. You know, and I'm like, huh, that was for about the first four minutes. And then after that, <laughs> okay, he's that, he's breathing hard at the beginning, but he doesn't slow down. Like, at some point, I have to control my pace a little bit. But, yeah, I, I had, a, like, this first three or four minutes of my very first hike with Trevor where I had this, like, oh, I'm in, I'm in better shape than maybe I thought compared to Trevor, but – he quickly dashed that. <laughs> day day two, day two, day two, we went on a hike that we we figured we all kind of guessed at it, but then we looked at the map, the, the GPS later on. It was a 2,000-foot vertical climb. In and it far? was not a switch back and take your time and walk along this ridge. It was straight up this hill, mountain, to get to this ridge, and there was no other way to do it. And... I mean, I, I, I've been on overall, and this was just a morning hike. I've been on an overall, maybe all day hike kind of stuff, putting more, more energy and, and, uh, miles in. But as far as the trajectory of how we went up that mountain to get to where we needed to get to, and then it was basically done mid morning. And then it was a matter of just trying to find the animals and stuff. That was a tough one. That was, I mean, it was 2000 feet and it was, I would guesstimate it was about a two hour hike up there and stuff, you know, 
probably would have been about an hour and 20 minutes for Trevor, but he kind of had to stop a little bit and let us kind of stay, you know, and it's always another thing about it too, is when you're the hunter, you're always thinking, now we weren't going after a bull. We were getting into some country and we had to get a Vista and it was the only place to get it. So there's kind of two different ways of thinking about that. If you're going in like I did when I actually got my elk, you know, you really have to think like, I got to control my breathing. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if I get up to this ridge and I'm, I'm being, yeah, I'm, I, you know, we're not actually going after an animal, so I'm going to be able to catch my breath. But regardless, that was a tough hike. That was a, and the, the going up's hard enough on your lungs, oh, yeah. but man, the going down that thing kicked me and Tom's butt. That's where I did. That's probably the only time I beat Tom on that entire hunt was going down that day two hunt, going back down the hill. He was, uh, he was struggling a little bit. Yeah, his had calves are meant to go up, not yeah. Down, huh? Calves are for going <laughs> he up. Quads, up yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny because I definitely would look back at him, and and he was he was struggling a bit. I you know maybe it was because the first half of it, he's still trying to take pictures and still trying to work and all this stuff. And I look back and I'm like, you know, I saw him kind of gingerly going across because we're walking up these like just these rock slides and stuff. You know, just this shaky shale rock and unsure footing and all that stuff. Well, he's carrying that big camera with his big lens on it and stuff. We got back down. I'm like, put the damn thing in your bag. Cause I thought, you know, he's probably having to be extra careful. You didn't want to break that damn camera, you right. know, fall and break the camera. So when, when he put the camera away, he probably had a little bit easier time, but that was by far our hardest hunt for sure. Our hardest hike was that day too. Did uh? so you, you went out Saturday opening day was Sunday, right? On whatever that was opening day, Sunday, Sunday yeah. and you killed him on Thursday. Killed him Thanksgiving morning. So, Knowing that the hunt was not coming to an end, you still had a couple days, right? It was a week long. When did the season I had a seven end? day hunt? So seven. Now it was a fourteen day tag, but I my plan travel wise, work wise, was I had a day to travel week. on both ends. Travel on Saturday, come home on Sunday. I had a seven day hunt. I had okay. Saturday. I had Sunday to Saturday to hunt. Seven Knowing full days. You went in because I, I mean, I'm talking to you. You they have guides, you know, and all around seeing different bulls and maybe they saw them the morning before, but you go after them and you don't see them. And then Chuck sees one over here or might've seen one in the early season. You go after him and you, you don't see him and you know, you get down to that fourth day, fifth day and you're like, man, I'm paying all this money and I'm not going to kill a bull. Did, did that ever set in? Yes. Were you getting frustrated? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so of course the first day, you know, you're waking up opening morning and yeah. I'm going to go You're, kill 400 this morning. Well, well oh, yeah. And then you kind of, do I want to kill one? You're starting to sit there and go, well, hell yeah. If I get an opportunity, I'm going to kill one day one if it's the one, right? Mm -hmm. But there are those thoughts of like, ah, you know, I want to enjoy the experience a little bit. And, but um, at the end of the day, when it comes to that subject matter, I really do, looking back on it, having a few weeks to let it soak in, I, I think day five of seven, if there was one more ideal day, it would have been day four. Because day one, two, three, you're kind of like, okay, I still got – day one's over. I still got six days. We're just getting warmed up a little bit. And you want to enjoy the experience. You want to see yeah. the country. You want to see a lot of bulls. You know, and flat out, I want to hike. I want to hunt. I want to work for it. You don't want to – you know, from that standpoint, it's like, ah, you almost miss out on the the experience if yeah. you kill day one or day two. So now day two's done, done some hard hiking man, I'm going to be sore tomorrow. I wonder if my, you know, do I have any blisters opening up on my feet? Am I still <laughs> going to be able to do this day three? But, you know, day three starting to get to like, all right, this would be about the right time. You know, I've, I've, I'm getting tired. I've, I've enjoyed a good hike, a real hard <laughs> hike. I've glassed a lot. We've seen 
shit, we saw 14 bulls opening morning. You know, no real shooters per se, but some good bulls, decent bulls, and small bulls. But we saw 14 bulls like right away. So we're going to find bulls. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, you get to day three and it's like, ah, this is about the time. You know, if we if we find one, if we, you know, we can put a good stock on one, this would be good. Day three, it doesn't happen. <laughs> day, But you're still looking at it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of, you know, you got seven days. So three and a half days in, you're at your midpoint. So. You're, you're doing the evening of day three and you're thinking, all right, I'm halfway through. And evening of day three was tough because we were going after a good bull. It was, was seen the day before, got a little bit of footage of him to see what, and he was, I mean, he was by far a shooter. There was no doubt about it, but he was in some of the toughest country to kill a bull. I mean, that's why he's so big. He lived in an area where it was very lucky that he was seen at all. But once he was out of where he was seen, he could be anywhere in a 10 mile radius. And it was steep canyons and no vistas. And it, or you couldn't, it very difficult to hunt. But we went in there after him and it was cold and the wind was blowing and it was a brutal afternoon. You know, you're driving back to camp that night going, man, I'm halfway through. <laughs> now I'm over halfway through. Day four, it better start happening a little bit because now we're on the less days. But at the end of the day, I would really say day five was one day shy because you get to day six on a seven day hunt. You're freaking you're, out. You're pressing. There's no doubt. And I and I'm I just thought shoot about it. Three twenty or well, three thirty. And then of course, exactly yeah. score wise, it starts drop a little bit. And Alex and Alex is on a sheep hunt at that time. And there was one of those nights. I forget which night it was, but he had texted back. Are you starting to change, you know, your your goalpost or whatever? I said to Jackson, it's like, no, not right, not yet. I think it was probably about day night three or something. I'm like, no, no, we're good. But day four, you start thinking, eh, you know, maybe, maybe <laughs> we might lower our standards just a little bit. But day five, killing the morning of day five, I think was just about ideal. I was able to soak in pretty much every experience you're going to experience on a hunt. The one thing I didn't have was any failure. From the standpoint of hey, you didn't blowing miss one, a stock, you know, yeah. missing a shot, obviously. The one opportunity I got to kill a big bull, it happened. So it seems like when that, that when that happened, it happened so fast. Like, wow, that was over. Because I didn't have any of that part of the experience. I had plenty of hunting experience, and I was good with every, every other aspect of enjoying a hunt of a lifetime hunt. But, it, you know, could have I replaced that with maybe a blown stock on a slightly smaller bull and having that adrenaline and having all that and maybe the disappointment of screwing something up? Yeah, I mean, but, I don't, looking back on it, I don't mind missing that. Yeah, I mean, but it is, right. it's interesting because all that work, one stock, one get within shot. distance, but, which was... But at was, the same it, time, that goes back to your working out, getting in shape, shooting the gun, being on, being able to shoot out to a thousand yards. Because if you didn't do the work before the season, you, your ass would have been tired on day one or day two. Trevor might've had to go into some weaker areas to, cause he knew you couldn't get up to a certain spot because you were out of shape. You might've had to shoot at a longer distance with his gun, whatever the case may be. But when the time came to it, you were ready because you prepared. Right. You got, Absolutely. you hiked and got ready and you were with Jared and shot out to a thousand yards and you were confident in everything that you were doing. So yeah, when the time yeah, came, I was, I was perfectly was, fine. I mean, I, yeah. it happened the way it happened, but it was a seven day hunt. So you, I was perfectly fine with going into the, 
the I guess it was you know the Thanksgiving evening and it never even had to think about it because it all yeah, it happened. all unfolded perfectly. But I was yeah because of that preparation, I was prepared to do a seven day hunt of. You know, and it just, just the thought just came into my mind. Day four, which would have been, you know, Wednesday morning was the first morning. I mean, I was up out of bed. Coffee was, was prepared the night before, you know, up before the alarm went off kind Excited. of thing. And, and, and not tired, not like, oh, God, you know, God, I'm going to concentrate on the afternoon hunt, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I was, you know, I was enjoying every single morning, but that Wednesday morning, Tom, <laughs> he struggled a little bit. Yeah. I could just tell. Like, I didn't hear him moving around. I heard his alarm go off, and it kind of rustled around a little bit. And it's like, okay, Tom's not getting up as good as he did the day. He was he was tired, I could tell. And he admitted, you know, as we got going that morning, he's like, yeah, this morning was a little rougher than the other ones. Because, Dave, you're tired. Three yeah. days of hard hunting. Did you? Well, you're tired. Getting up at 3 in the morning or whatever, you know? Yeah. How Did every night when you came back – did because at that time of the year it's dark at five or maybe even four thirty, whatever it is. Yeah. So you're back at camp at six by the time you drive back home. Generally, yeah, pretty early. Um so were you having a couple Bud Lights or did you have a cocktail or two or did you just have did you save the Jack Daniels tell the kill? Of course, no, I of course had to switch it up, right? We didn't have any luck, so we oh. yeah, had a beer or two and it's like, you know, we did a beer or two the, the the second night and then it's like, all right, we were unsuccessful. Let's try a couple whiskeys and did Tom have a you couple too many whiskeys that thing about morning? Tom too. That's right. the other, that Yeah. And another another uh, plus for Tom too was you know, he's working all day long. I mean, yeah. working, taking photos, taking video, switching this up, switching that back, charging back batteries, and forth. downloading and then, stuff. Yeah, we come back and I, I'm kind of relaxing. I'm I'm getting dinner ready and all that. And while I'm getting dinner ready, he's over there working. He's downloading, he's emailing, he's actually working. I mean, he had some stuff with, with you guys. He yep. was like, you know, I gotta take care of this this order and you know, this email. One day we were driving back. He's getting phone calls from Rocky Merlot, and you know he's working the entire time. So yeah, he was a stud. He was an absolute stud. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, five days, you're pre- you, you would have to be prepared. There's no way you could do a hunt like that and not physically prepare your body. And I didn't even wise. have to think about the shot because of the preparation. Yeah. It was, I mean, it really, and you, you envision all that stuff. You think about that stuff going into any kind of experience, if it's sports or hunt, hunting or whatever you're doing, and you try to visualize and dream up exactly how this is going to work out. And as I sit here and I'm talking right now, that moment of getting ready and all that is just a blur because it was like second nature. It was like, yeah. just like, you know, swinging a baseball bat or swinging a golf club. The only one so thing that times, you didn't just do repetition. that you probably trained on with jared was zoom in i've thought about that a lot but i was so <laughs> comfortable with that bubble being level that i guess the reason i didn't go to that last one on the checklist because i didn't need to yeah. I, I, I i can't say consciously that i remembered to, to to zoom in and said no i'm good i don't have to i forgot I forgot to zoom in. I went through and everything. And there's a little bit of pressure because he I was did, moving. He was moving. It was so, going to happen. And yeah. But yeah, but I was so comfortable with everything that I yeah. had practiced and it just lined up perfectly where I just, I obviously didn't need it. It was a great shot and I didn't need to zoom in. I, everything, it just, it lined up. It was, it was very second nature. 
Well, I want to save a couple things when we get Trevor in here because Trevor from Bull Ridge is going to come here and talk to us about. I, I want to ask him some questions like, was Clint a typical client? Was he more prepared? Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to just, yeah, it'll be great to hear his perspective. Yeah, I saved some stuff that I haven't said yet. Yeah, exactly. So I want to hear his point of view of what a typical client is, you know, because I, I don't know. I, in my mind, there's a plethora or, or array, a huge array of people who hire guides, people that are from obviously out of state who draw the tag, people who are businessmen who like to hunt but can only get away, maybe a weekend warrior that can only afford to get away for a week, um, whatever it may, may be. Um, but I want to see what he thinks of Clint being a – because we've done stuff with Trevor before. I've asked him questions on my hunt. He's helped me out Guess on chance design. He's given a little bit of information. But that's how he makes his living, right? So I know he's going to be hesitant to give me – any one through 10 elk that he's going to kill because he has all those clients, but he's still, Hey, go to this area. You know, he's helped me out over the years. Um, but that's how he makes his living. And we've killed some mountain lions with him. So I know how that kind of works, but we've never been on a big game guided hunt like this. So I want to see it was, how yeah. different Clint and was. And I've saved compared. a lot of my little interactions with him and different things we talked yeah. about and discussed for, for that time. But what? Two things I'd oh, oh, go ahead. No, I would, if you want to say two things, I just want to ask you one question before he gets here. What one thing, because we're, you know, talking to Les and talking to other people, they, they can't believe the success. And, you know, I'm not trying to brag or whatever, but we're good hunters. I mean, we've killed some big deer. We've killed some big antelope, big elk and, and help some other people do the same thing. Um, but we're not at that level, be, you know, and it's, could we do that if we were a guide and we were in the hills every day? I would think so. You know, I think I would have a confidence in myself to do that as a, as a, if that was my job, but as a DYI guy, we've had some really good success on big game animals. So how do you go from, if you had everything involved in it, if you had the time, if you could go scout for a month prior to, if you had the means to do that, you could walk away from your job and, and go do that. Could you do that as a DYI guy? Maybe, maybe not. So what is the one thing that from the past years of doing deer, antelope, elk, whatever on a DYI to a elk hunt in this country, what's the biggest thing that you would say that the guide helped you out with? Well, the first thing I'd say is there's not just one thing, but if I, you know, top of the list, I mean, you can't put past the experience. I mean, just in general, a general answer to that question is just the experience, the local knowledge, whatever you want to call it. Um, Trevor is the son and the nephew of guys that have guided their whole life. Trevor's our age, you know, he's yeah. a bit younger than us, but he's, I think he's turning 40 this year, if you remember him telling me, right? 39 years old. So... He's coming from like a wealth of knowledge of not just that local area, yeah. but the, the, I mean, he's an unbelievable hunter for all of those animals from mountain lion to elk, to deer, to antelope, to bighorn sheep, um, anything big game wise. So I, I, I think just in general, the answer would be just experience, just local knowledge, experience, what he's learned from his uncle and his uncles and his dad. And I would disagree slightly on the whole, could you get that good? Yeah, but I, just like anything, there's a limitation to, to mm -hmm. your abilities. So you have to have a certain skill set, and he just has it. And is it is 80% is of it learned, I guess, but there's still going to be 20% of that that's 
it, it, you either have it or you don't mm-hmm. have it. Um, I, by far, if I really had to put it on something, it's or yeah, I would always say I've always considered myself an above average eye, naked eye, finding something, but certainly getting a pair of binoculars up or a spot and scope mm-hmm. and being able to to judge an animal. That would be Let the biggest spotting. thing. Spot an animal that way, and, you know, and I, I would definitely say that would be the thing that would probably set that apart from from the skill level that we're at is to not only find the animals and maybe some of that just knowing, but knowing where to look. You know, and I think you could just learn a lot from Shapes, a guy like colors. that. What you're looking for, what <laughs> color you're looking for, what, why would you be looking at this tree line or not in the sun right there, but in the shade in this area and the biggest thing with me is not only finding the animals, the, the time of finding the animals to compared to me. And then on top of it, by the time I'm finding the animals, he's already got them found out judged. Yeah. And I'm not talking, Oh, Hey, that's a 346 inch antelope or that's a th- or, or elk or whatever, but knowing that it's worth getting a better look at within the time that it took me to find the animal. Yeah. So I hey. would say that, that there's no way you could discount that part of it. The amount of time, and I'm not going to say wasted. I mean, hunting is hunting, but the amount of time that the average guy, which that's us, I mean, if I was probably put back, put back a few notches, I, I've, I'm an average hunter when it comes to that kind of stuff. I thought I was above average. Maybe I am above average and we're above average, but, uh, he's elite, but you start to realize like what, there's a big difference between above average and, and elite level for sure. Well, and just the amount of time, the efficiency of hunting, if you can get to an area and be able to just glass through that area and find the animals, know where they're at and find them, and then be able to say they're not even worth getting a closer look at. Yeah. You're looking at that much more country. You're not wasting any of your time or energy you're talking about being in shape and stuff. A lot of the times what that means in that country is you've got to hike, and you've got to get in closer and hike and then realize, oh, uh, maybe not quite big enough. Well, that's so what I was just going to say. You're saving days, not hours. You're saving days you, worth of you hunting. Told me, you told me about – that and that that aspect is so true because um you know i've thought i've thought about exactly what you said and you know i'm going to just say a little bit because i do want to save some stuff with trevor when he gets here but the idea of what you just said of him knowing the bulls to look in a in a sunspot shade spot whatever it is and and finding them and knowing what their score is like you said if you know that these bulls in this canyon typically are only out until nine o'clock because the sun hits them earlier than this Canyon that the sun doesn't get on the Canyon until maybe 12 o'clock. Well, you got to get to that first Canyon first, spot the bulls, find, see if there's a new one in there. And if he's big enough and, and with not knowing how to judge something, you know, Phil judge it from that far away. The average hunter is, yeah, but we got to get closer to take a look. And that means in this country, hiking down an hour, hiking up another hour, trying to get to another spot, maybe find him again in that country. Yeah. By the time you get there, they're bedded down. They're bedded down. We, we watched, we watched one bull, which was the one bull that we saw that Trevor was unsure about. Looked pretty good. And he actually wasn't as good as he thought, which was, I thought was a really cool, honest, you know, cause he was like, Oh, he's definitely, he's definitely worth looking at getting a little better look at it. Uh. And even when we got a better look, he's like, eh, he's kind of, he kind of he was he was waffling and stuff. And when we were trying to really analyze him, when we got closer, nobody nobody would have found that bull. Yeah, there was the back part of his main beam and a little bit of his fifth 
hanging out in the shadows of a tree <laughs> on a shaded part of a rim. And I'm getting over to that. You know, we so we we found him. We saw where he kind of bedded down, and when we walked over, so we walked maybe another half mile. We get over there. Well, I'm sitting there going, okay, we were on this ridge, so that's the one we were looking at. And I'm looking at landmarks, <laughs> and by the time I was kind of go, okay, that that's the ridge where we last saw him. He's got him in the spot and scope. Yeah. Not only does he have him in the spot and scope, it's just this little bit of a whale's tail back there on the edge of a tree. And I, I mean, it took me ten minutes of like, okay, I, you know look at his spot and scope and saw where it was at. And then I'm still trying to find him in my binoculars and it took me 10 minutes to find him. Crazy. So just little stuff like that. It's just, and that, it's yeah, priceless. that's the thing. Just to finish my thought, you, you do those, you see those bulls and not, not having to go after one to get a better look because you already know you're already on to the next Canyon because the sun is maybe not on it yet. And you see another set of bulls because you might never even get a chance to get to that second or third or fourth canyon to look at those bulls because you're chasing this one that you thought maybe was a 350 and turns out to be a 305. Not to mention, you get next to that 305 and you... I already I'm put this much work yeah. in. So yeah. much work. <laughs> well, and, I, and it just in that, what you were just saying about like the type of weather we had, which, yeah, yeah it's that time of year and this is tra- traditionally what it is and this is usually where the bulls are at. Well, you can throw all that stuff out the window because that weather was different than last year or the year yeah. before. So, and again, not local knowledge. It was the, it was the late rifle hunt. So it's typically this and the bulls are, t- well, this year it was, it was mm-hmm. sunny days. And we talked a lot about, you know, I love glass and more when it's overcast. We need an overcast day because, you know, you can just see this, you know, you get these heat waves and all those little things that, and it was just, it was a bit warmer. So yeah, knowing, yeah, because of the temperatures today and because of the of the of the cloud cover or the lack of cloud cover, we've only got until X hour or we're screwed. We're not gonna really be able to yeah. see anything, you know. So all that kind of stuff. But I was gonna say earlier, just to finish up on Trevor, just to kind of prelude to when we get him on the podcast. Um neither of you, well, I guess you guys have, but most people haven't seen the entire uncut video of the kill. You know, that's a splice down one that you'll see on our on our uh, right. Instagram. But everybody can hear the excitement in his voice. I, I've watched that thing, I don't know. That was the first thing I've seen. times or whatever. <laughs> and really, I love the shot, and I love how they're getting out. But I love Trevor's excitement. Oh, dude, and it's he's like, seen hundreds of bullets. I mean, think, think about it for whatever like reason. Thomas. You know, pick your favorite sporting event, and you're watching the team that you like and stuff. How much more is it enhanced by a great commentator? Yep. Or a bad commentator. It totally changes the experience. Well, having Trevor in that moment, it was just classic. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was priceless. I, I, I loved it. Right when you sent that, the first thing I said was, <laughs> oh, my God, just like our cousin Thomas, they <laughs> yeah. are identical when it comes Which to that. Which you I mean, have to, I mean, so you really awesome. have to love and appreciate that because this is the second side of it. We're on that ridge. His dad was down below. You know, we took our time. We were doing our thing. We're looking at the bull. We found the bull. We're you know just starting the whole process of of taking in the moment, and um, by the time his dad got up there and one of his other guys, they're discussing <laughs> what's what's a uh, what's that one that so and so was looking at what's what's this one there he's working he's on to the next yeah. one my hunt's over I'm like I'm You're like done. in bliss and I'm like oh man it's the end of it and man I can't wait to sleep in tomorrow morning and. I, He's back up three Working. o'clock the very next morning going after it because he's got more clients. Yeah. I mean, it's it's unreal that's to, the drive. to see from that standpoint. You have to have that to be, you know, that's what you said. Different, that's the twenty percent that you can't learn, dude. Is that no? You you got to be that guy that even when he's not pulling the trigger or not with a friend that's pulling it. You know, these are total strangers that he's hunting with, and he's that excited. 
willing to, like you said, get out of bed three o'clock in the morning. He's probably, you know, just the, you know, fueling and dealing with all your guys and all that stuff. And, yeah. you know, we're not even talking the financial marketing, all the mm-hmm. other BS that goes to having a business. And, and just believe to drive me, is, to get out of bed and, all. And he's not a rich guy. And dude, his he's, dad ain't a rich guy. So. He's sheep hunting right now, you know, or he they just killed one it. today. Yep. They're still not done yet. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I was going to say before, because I, like I said, I want to save some stuff with Trevor. But in my view, not knowing, because I've never done a big game guided hunt, and correct me if I'm wrong if you didn't feel this, but I would think the confidence that they give you, like going into it, like... Last year on my hunt, I had, you know, a, like I said, I think I'm a good hunter and I could find some stuff, but it was all, we hadn't, we didn't see any bull. I mean, I mean, everything was a doubt, you know? Yeah. But I think going in with a guide, especially the caliber that Trevor is and the, and the bull and his dad, Chuck and everybody, and knowing the animals that they get on the ground going into that hunt you have to have some type of confidence even though you might have been losing a little bit on yeah. the fifth day you that just going yeah, into that's it, not that's, a confidence that's just you know you're just naturally going to press because yeah. you're running out of days you're running well, no, out I'm of hours say, for sure but yeah, yeah no but going no. into it like going with a guide of that caliber like you just have that yes i want to kill freaking big bull and yeah. that's what you did yeah and <laughs> what i would say about that is you know, and I, I, I'll go reference back to Tom, but Tom would, Tom would say, you know, really after those first couple, two, three days, you guys, you guys do all the same stuff. You know, you guys are, and I'm, he, he didn't, I don't think he was grasping all these nuanced things. Um, but generally, yeah, from, from a, maybe a less experienced hunter kind of stuff, it's like, there's not a whole lot different, but there are, there is a lot different when you get down to the details and stuff, but um, don't fool yourself if you're going to hire a guide for any big game animal, but, but I would say definitely big bull elk in the state of Nevada that none of it's going to be easy. Yeah, yeah. Some pressure's taken off of you and yeah, your confidence is going to be built up because you have somebody who really, really knows what they're doing. But I would still submit to you that that's, it's a very difficult and challenging thing. And even some of those challenges, which we'll talk about in the future are, are different because you are with a guide um, that that would be different if you're out doing it on your own, but it's still it's it's still a very challenging, difficult experience. So that's what I love about it. You're not you're yeah. going to get that much more fulfillment out of it just because you still, you know, you, I, when you do it yourself, when you DIY it, because <laughs> uh, Clay was saying DIY the whole time. I just had to rib at him a little what bit. I, I don't know if you what I was that. saying when you DIY it. You were saying DIY when you do, do yourself. When you do yourself. Do yourself, anyways, yeah. do yourself in hunting. I yeah. think I think the general camp, the whatever. general consensus. If you talk to enough guys, you know you got a guide. It's it's much easier. It really isn't. There's definitely advantages, but if you make the mistake of not preparing yourself physically, mentally, you know, make sure you practice shooting and all that kind of stuff. You're you're going to have a, actually a more difficult time. Yeah. I would submit it's so. still hunting. It's, it's still, still hunting. hunting. You still got to get lucky. You still got to have yeah. the wind work for you. You still got to have you got to have the bulls, you know, Cooperate. maybe fall asleep a little bit and make a mistake. Use all those factors still factor in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who you have and how much money you're paying you, them or any of that stuff. It's still hunting. You get some course knowledge. You get a, you do, you know, you get a guy that has seen a lot. You get the help on the back end. Obviously, we don't, we don't want to go. I don't want to go too much further, though. You know, I want to yeah. hear from Trevor and part two, I want to kind of, I want to. Sure. I'm interested, you know, and we've discussed it offline, but you know the. 
I think it's always cool to see how different people field dress stuff and, you know, uh, pack, you know, just all that kind of stuff, which I'd like to have, you know, we might have to record too with Trevor maybe, but, you know, it will be cool to get Trevor in here or via Zoom or whatever you kids are doing nowadays. So, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for today, let's wrap it up. We'll get Trevor on the show. Uh, might be difficult to get him tied down, huh? I'm he's texting got, him right now. He's got cat hunts. He's, he's, sounds he's like mountain he's still sheep hunting, hunt, but he might be able to give us a Zoomer or something like that. Well, if they got the weather we got, they're, cat they're definitely going after the cats right now because I'm sure they got some snow. So uh, we'll get back into that jerky uh, jar here and uh, say goodnight to everyone. Thank Meat again for uh, bringing you guys another wonderful podcast. Clint, sharing your memories. Clay, your DIY or DIY. <laughs> hey, hey. The, the important thing is you knew exactly what the hell I was talking about. Absolutely. Both of you. So whatever. Got anything else you want to say? See ya. See ya. <laughs>